Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Well, so we're in Revelation chapter 2. We made it to the seven letters to the seven churches. And I believe we're going to find a message for all of us as we go through these letters. It was my intent to try to cover three churches today, but we're only going to do Ephesus. Because as I pondered and prayed about the church of Ephesus and their problem and what they did right, I discovered that I have found myself to be like the church of Ephesus. You see, Pastor Chris in his homily this morning talked about those that have left their first love. Man, we know all this stuff. Doctrinally, we are sound. Man, we're doing all these things, but where's the passion for Jesus that we once had? You see, that childlike faith that we all need to have, it's like, I know my dad is going to take care of me. And for me, sometimes every morning, Cindy comes in, she works across the hall from our office, but I'm there listening to worship music until I get to that place where I have a passion for God. Do you know what I mean? It's where you travail in prayer, where you seek the Lord with all your heart, and then He begins to fill you with His Holy Spirit, and you get that sweet fruit of the Spirit in your life. Well, Ephesus was a celebrated city. It's now in modern-day Turkey. It's about 40 miles south of Smyrna. It's a port city. It was quite large. The people there were very distinguished. Sometimes we think of people in Bible times as nomadic nomadic sheep herders, right? Do you ever picture that? But man, they were intelligent. They had banks. They had libraries. They had everything we have except technology and electricity. There's where it's located uh, right off the... Mediterranean Sea, you can see uh, Ephesus there circled right there. Patmos is that little island just, just about 33 miles from the coast. Uh, Ephesus had a wonderful port. They also had a temple of Diana or Artemis. Uh, who knows in Greek mythology who D- Diana was? Yeah, she was the huntress. And their temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This temple was amazing. It took them 120 years to build it. It was completed 555 B.C. That's old. Now think about how old that is. That's right around when Daniel was taken to Babylon uh, in captivity. Right around that. It was a little bit older than that. But man, Antipor, a Greek poet, wrote, But when I saw the sacred house of Artemis, The towers to the clouds. Can you picture it? The other wonders were placed in the shade for the sun himself has never looked upon its equal outside Olympus. Amazing the beauty and grandeur of this temple. That's an artist's rendering of what the temple would probably look like. And this thing was huge. Take a guess how big just the building is of that temple. Four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens, the largest building in the Hellenistic world. 425 feet long by 220 feet wide with 127 marble columns. You know those big Corinthian columns that go up? Seven feet in diameter and 60 feet tall. 
They built it in a marsh because there were many earthquakes in the area. So they did it in a marshland where it would survive the earthquakes more. And they dug the foundation to bedrock and really built this thing huge. 120 years it took them to do it. I love the way the artist puts the way this thing might look. And look, look at the people there, you know, uh, uh, compared to how big that is. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Can you imagine Paul on those steps talking to the Ephesians, witnessing to the Ephesians? You think this house is good? Man, God's house is much better. Oh, man. I, I would have loved to have seen that. There's Artemis or Diana from Greek mythology. That's actually the statue, a copy of what they had in that temple. She's multi-breasted, meaning she was uh, fertile, and, and she has little animals coming out of her uh, stomach. These are all like horses and calves and, and all of that. Now, I want to ask you a question. These people were not stupid, but they worshipped an idol. Now, for me, I think that's ignorance in, in, the, in, the, in the biggest way. We went to Israel. We started a Bible college there for Calvary Chapel. And on our tours, if you've ever been there, many of the sites are Catholic religious sites. Have you been there? Okay. And here's the unfortunate thing. You pull up. We had a Palestinian driver. He was Muslim. Uh, by the way, he was telling me about his kids going to summer camp, learning how to shoot an AR and jump out of a window, come up shooting. Isn't that weird? To do what? Kill Israelis. They hated it. He hated Christians, too, our driver. And he goes, why don't you go kiss the statue? All you Christians, you're idolaters. And I said, I will not go. I stopped going to the things. I was offended. I said, this is an affront that's idolatry. Why would you venerate a statue and crawl up to it and kiss it and, and just adore a statue? But folks, people still do it. Hey, now we adore superstars, do we not? Hey, even Christian artists, oftentimes at the concerts, the people, oh, he was so, man, we should only venerate Jesus Christ. He's the only one that we bow down to. No one else. In Acts 19.34, it says, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, remember Paul was preaching, and the guys that made the little silver idols of Artemis and sold them were complaining, no one's buying our idols anymore. Man, Paul was converting the whole town of Ephesus. And they got mad at him, and they pulled some of Paul's companions. They figured out he was a Jew. Now note this. And a single outcry arose from all the people of Ephesus as they shouted for two hours. Think about that. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. These people loved their goddess, Artemis, the great huntress of Greek mythology. This is where they actually went and drug these guys that were with Paul to this great theater in Ephesus. Now note this, it seats about 25,000 people. That's a huge theater. Can you imagine? They would do plays. This is where they would assemble the, the, the Roman citizens to vote on various things and, and city business. This is the assembly. And by the way, church means what? Remember when we covered that? Assembly. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yes. Ecclesia. 
All right. In 1 Corinthians 15.32, Paul was probably taken to this very spot and fought beasts because they would haul criminals and Christians right here. The whole group of 25,000 people would watch as the beasts tore the Christians and tore the criminals apart. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15.32, If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But indeed the dead are raised. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. But it's interesting. More than likely, Paul was right here fighting wild beasts, and he won. That would have been a rare thing, because most people were killed when they were drugged there to fight with wild beasts. This is the library at Ephesus. Now think about that facade right there. Man, this was an incredible library that held, they guesstimate, about 20,000 scrolls or books. But back then, mainly it was scrolls that, that it held of literature and all kinds of things. They had a library. See those little statues right there? Okay, in the library, the outer wall had recesses for female statues representing wisdom or Sophia, knowledge, episteme, intelligence, anoa, and virtue, arete. All right, this is the agora or the marketplace. When Paul first came to Ephesus, when he went on his missionary journeys, this is where he went. And he began to witness to the people in Ephesus. Uh, the agora or marketplace, why don't we turn to Acts chapter 19 and just read a little bit about Ephesus before we get into Revelation chapter 2. I love that Luke researched everything, what, carefully when he wrote the book of Acts. To write everything in the book of Luke, he was a true researcher. So Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 1. We read this, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about 12 men. Interesting that the first converts of Ephesus, the disciples that he found, there was about 12 guys. It actually became a big city after that. Continue on. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Here's the interesting thing. Church historians believe that John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, and they retired in Ephesus. So now there's a tomb in Ephesus you can visit that they say is John the Apostle's tomb. Remember when Christ was on the cross, he said to John, hey, John, behold your mother, and to Mary, Mary, behold your son. John, take care of my mom. Well, they say that they moved and retired in Ephesus. This was a beautiful port city. It was amazing, probably like maybe a Laguna Beach with the hills and, and, and all of that. Verse 11, oh, but verse 10 in Acts 19. 
This took place for two years. What took place? Paul began to teach in the school of Tyrannius. So he found a school, and for two years he stayed in Ephesus teaching them theology. Now the amazing thing is this. Think about this. Why was Ephesus praised in Christ's letter to the church of Ephesus? What were the good things they did in Revelation chapter 2? Hey, they knew Scripture. They tested the apostles, the false teachers, and found them false. They were intelligent. They knew the Word of God. Paul stayed with them two years and taught them all this stuff. But man, it's just like you said in your homily. They left their first love. And we're going to get into the text shortly. All right. Not only did they have this marketplace, but they had various temples to... Uh, various guys, Hadrian and other people in Ephesus. It was quite beautiful and remarkable. Ephesus in the Greek literally means permitted or desirable. It's almost like in uh, compared to uh, dating. At Ephesus, the name means permitted or desirable. What we're going to do is figure out that the names of each church in the letters to the seven churches have a significant meaning as to why Christ chose those particular churches and we'll put it all together at, as we finish the letter um, in uh, Revelation chapter 2 so let's go to Revelation chapter 2 starting at verse 1 and begin the letter to Ephesus to the angel of the church of Ephesus remember we covered that in depth angel angel means messenger I don't think it's a literal angel because God doesn't have to write them letters as far as I know, but pastors, he does. Typically, a messenger is the pastor, the apostle, the one in charge of the church. So Christ is holding the pastors responsible for preaching the word of God. Amen? Amen? In the pulpits across this nation and world, folks, we need pastors that teach the word of God again. Not ideologies, not three steps on to how to feel good. <laughs> hey, the seven stars, what does he say? To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. The one who holds the seven stars. What were those again? Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. The pastors. Yeah, the stars are the pastors. The churches are the golden lampstands, right? They represent the churches and walks among the golden lampstands. It's interesting that in the throne room of God right now in heaven, Christ is at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for the saints. There's one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Not your pastor, not a priest, not anyone else. You go directly to God through Christ. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Man, the Lord is with us wherever we go. He will never leave us nor forsake us. When we face trials in this life, know this, God is with you. No matter what you face, he walks amongst the lampstands. He says this, verse 2, I know your deeds. Do you think Christ knows everything? Not only does he know what you do, he knows what you think. You ever think about that? Oh man, that's why we're to guard our thoughts. We're to take every thought captive because I don't know about you, but my thoughts can be pretty wicked. So you ever get a wicked thought? It just pops in. It's like an arrow from the enemy. Man, I take that thought captive. I, I take it captive to what? How does that end? Obedience to Christ. It's about obedience, amen? Hey, this church, what, let's just read it. Verse three, 
Oh, let's verse 2 again. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. I don't know about you, this sounds like a great church. Man, they're hardworking. They're persevering. Remember, what does that mean? Cheerfully enduring, not just enduring. Woe is me, I'll get through it somehow. No, they're, hey, I've got the joy of the Lord in the midst of this trial unveiling and kicking out false teachers. They didn't tolerate evil men. They endured for Jesus' name's sake, and they didn't grow weary in doing good. If, if, if we stopped right there, I would say this is the best church ever. Man, I want to be a part of that. They're doing everything right, so it appears. Hey, they hate the deed. Huh? Yeah, they are cold. Man, Woo. <laughs> And they hate the deed of the Nicolaitans. Skip down to verse 6. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Does God hate anything? Can we say he hates sin? Loves a sinner, hates sin. It says here that they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, what are the deeds of the Nicolaitans? Exactly, and where did it come from? Let's look at it really quick, if I can get PowerPoint to, to, to work for me. I think it just froze. Oh, no, there we go. The Nicolaitans, these were Gnostic Christians. It was a cult started by one of the um, original um, deacons. Remember in Acts chapter 6 when they appointed deacons? Why did they do that? The apostle said it's not good that we wait tables and do all this. We need to spend our time studying the Word of God and teaching the Word of God and making disciples. So they appointed deacons, men full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And Nicholas was one of those deacons. Acts chapter 6, verse 5. The statement found approval um, with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paramenus, and Nicholas, who started the cult of the Nicolaitans. What was that cult like? I tell you what, hold on, we'll get there. PowerPoint's not having fun today. Maybe I can click that. It actually just froze. <laughs> Let me shut it down and restart it. Let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Oh, yeah. No, no, I can. I can. But there's some cool stuff I got in here, I think. All right. So, shoot, forget it. <laughs> we'll forget the PowerPoint. It's totally froze. Someone want to work on this? John, try to get the PowerPoint working. Oh, it's an Apple. Who knows Apple? Yeah, it's got something. All right, thank you, Kevin. All right, let's continue on. Where did we leave off? Verse 6. And that this I have against you, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, what they did is abuse grace. And so the Nicolaitans, 
They were Christians. But they said, once we're saved through faith alone, we can do whatever we want. So this cult, not only would they go to the temples of idols like Artemis and eat in the restaurants. You know, most of the restaurants there were associated with the temples. So they would sacrifice their, uh, bring their sacrifices and wine libations, all of that, to the temple. They would barbecue it, and they had a restaurant downstairs where you could eat. Do you know Paul liked to eat in that restaurant? He said, man, I can eat anything, but if they tell you it's sacrificed to an idol, then don't eat it, remember? The Nicolaitans said, not only can we eat meat sacrificed to idols, but we can actually worship the idol because we're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that whosoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. We believe, so now we can do whatever we want. More than that, they got to the point where they were literally, you know, early Christians were accused of having orgies. Probably from the Nicolaitans because they would share their wives with one another. Wow. Thank you. Okay, it'll, it'll work. I'll preach while, while we log on. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right. Hold on. Let me just input my password. Okay, that's coming on. All right. I do need. Don't open that. Isn't it great? Commercial breaks. All right. So let's go back where we were. What, what did they do good? Verse 2 again. I know your deeds, literally in the Greek, that's labor. How many of you love to labor for the Lord? You know, it, it's, it's the idea that we need to be doing things to build God's kingdom. We need to be witnesses and ambassadors when we walk about this life. I know your labor and your toil, and toil there is to labor to the point of exhaustion. It's, man, you're working so hard to the point of exhaustion. You feel like you can't go on, but you're pushing on, and you're persevering, and you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance, you're enduring for my name's sake, and you don't grow weary, but I have this against you, verse 4, you have left your first love. I don't know about you, but I need that emotional love for God. That connection. Intellectually, I believe. Intellectually, I study this book every day. I declare the, the gospel everywhere I go, every opportunity I have, but emotionally am I connected with God. I like when Pastor Chris says, my heart is so knit with Christ that I can't exist apart from Christ. We need that emotional attachment. You know, in our marriages, as Christians, we need to go back to our first love, our spouse. And I don't care about girlfriends in high school and all of that. Your first real love is your spouse. Amen. And we need more than that intellectual connection. We need that spiritual and emotional connection with our spouses. Amen? We need that passion for each other, and we need that passion for God. These people did everything right, but they left their first love. Verse 5, here's the remedy. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first or return back to doing good or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. 
Three things there. What does he say to do? What's the solution if, if you find yourself weary of following God this morning? Remember from where you have fallen. The homily did a good job of re- making us remember that, Pastor Chris. Repent. And what's repentance? It's turning away, completely doing a 180. I'm doing this. It's displeasing to the Lord. I am going to stop that and pursue something else. You see, you need to replace a bad habit with a good habit. Amen? Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Now, it's interesting that he says, do the deeds you did at first, when he just gave us a whole list of all the deeds that they did. So what are the deeds they did at first? Yes, so they were fully connected to the Lord in in a much better way right when you first became a christian i want to ask you a question did you have a passion for god like no other i remember growing up for me i I grew up in church and so i always had a passion for god from the my first memory but when i was six years old my parents were counselors at a christian camp you ever your parents ever do that And they would bring me. It was a high school camp. I was in the back coloring, right? Uh, I was a good kid. I didn't make a lot of noise. So I was just coloring. And the uh, evangelist was up there. And he goes, I don't care if you've been raised in church. If you haven't publicly confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will burn in hell. Okay, this was fire and brimstone church. No doubt about it. I'm coloring and I'm like, huh? What? 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 And he goes, you need to come up here right now and publicly confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And then you'll be born again. And then you're truly saved. Until then, you're not saved. I guess he just wanted a lot of kids to come up. I don't know. He was scaring me to death. I tug on my mom's dress. Remember back then, ladies couldn't wear pants to church. Do you remember that? Had to be dresses and they had to have a scarf or a hat, a head covering back then. Do you remember those days? Yeah, in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't until the 70s that women stopped wearing the hats and the scarves in church. Before that, every church in the world, women wore hats up until the mid-60s, early 70s. Isn't that amazing? Do you remember? I remember when the church had their hat burning. We don't have to obey 1 Corinthians chapter 11 anymore. Hey, we don't need a head covering. Remember that? Ah, kind of, okay. Research it. It's really fun. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. Okay, the PowerPoint's coming back up. That's good. All right. Bear with me. Just a minute. And there it is. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Is it working? Did the TV go off? Did it come on? Yay. All right, time to get into the Word of God. Well, we already did that, did that, did that. We're just reviewing. Remember all that stuff? All right, so the Nicolaitans uh, only believed in faith alone, love, pleasure more than they love God, right? And this church at least hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, I, I want you to to really think about the significance of that statement. Should we hate the deeds of false teachers? 
what they say, what they preach, what they do. Okay, so there's a false love that's going in the church today called ecumenicalism. And what they say is, man, we just need to love each other. Then Christ said, I applaud that you hate the deeds, you hate the teachings of the Nicolaitans, false Christians. We need to stand for truth, amen? Because uh, 2 Timothy 3, 4, it says these, these people are treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, and that was the Nicolaitans. It's funny that Nickelodeon, that, that, that channel for kids, I believe came the name from this because Nickelodeon, Nicolation be, began to become the meaning lovers of pleasure. Those that just loved pleasure. And it's the opposite of Stoics. What were the other philosophers? The Epicureans. The Epicureans loved pleasure. It was all about pleasing yourself, pleasing yourself in the flesh. Holding to a form of godliness, and that was the Nicolaitans. Although they've denied the power, the power of the Holy Spirit, avoid such men as these. So the problem, they left their first love. And it's interesting, the consequence is this. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, and that's where we left off as before we had the meltdown of our PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> He's going to remove their lampstand out of its place unless they repent now i told you that the seven letters to the seven churches not only represent seven literal churches back in now modern day turkey but every church of every age will fit one of these churches are you with me okay so there's a church down the street or in uh, sudan that's smyrna it's being persecuted like, like the church to Smyrna. Uh, there's a church now, like here, that, man, we're knowledgeable, we're doing everything right as a church, but maybe we've left our passion for God. We need revived. You see, revival used to sweep the church. What is it? When you re-engage that, reignite your passion for God. Man, when he shines bright, church will die. What about individual Christians? Now, now l- let me preface this with this. I believe that once you are saved and a true child of God, there's no way you're going to go to hell. You see, if you get off the narrow path, the Lord as a loving Father, what does it say in Hebrews? He disciplines those He loves. If you're a true Christian and you are off the narrow path, you will face the discipline of God. I've, done, I've gone through it too many times. It scares you to death, and you get on that narrow path, and you're like, Lord, let me be right in the center of your will. I do not want your hand of discipline in my life again. So these individual believers will be thrown out, but I believe the Holy Spirit will bring them to a place of repentance. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, that we're salt and light. And he said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, note this, How can it be made salty again? Oh, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. You see, the church of Ephesus left their first love. They were good Christians. They were doing stuff, but I believe they lost their saltiness. They lost the spice of life. For me, I can't stand food without spice and salt. You know, I got to, when it's bland, it's like, Uh, We should spice up people's life. We should have a childlike joy in the midst of going through this journey called life where people look at us and say, wow, there's something different about you. 
Man, even when you face trials, which we all do, you, you have this confidence. You have this faith. You have this connection with God. Man, I need that. You see, we should be salt and spice up people's life. But if you're not, man, you need to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of the men. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel or basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light, therefore, shine before men in such a way that they may see what? Your faith? Good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. In Revelation chapter 2. Hey, what does it say? Uh, remember where you've fallen. Repent and return to doing good. Do the deeds you did at the beginning. It all goes hand in hand. Kind of like James. Faith without works is what? Useless or dead. Yes. Right. Man, I, can you read that? That's pretty small. <laughs> but hey, the praised, they labored, they worked, they were patient, they had perseverance, cheerful endurance, they were intolerant of evil men, they unveiled false teachers and corrected them, they, in, they had endurance for Christ's namesake, they toiled uh, and, and wouldn't give up, and they were relentless in pursuing God and truth, but the one thing they left, the complaint, and they left their first love. This morning, I know God is calling us all back to a, a personal revival. A time where we can re-engage that love and the commitment. And Jesus tells us about the deeds. You know, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know that New Covenant theology is peppered throughout the Old Covenant literature. Abraham did what? Had faith in God, believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. That's New Covenant theology. More than that, hold on. Wow, the computer's just having a fun time. You probably can't see what's happening here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. It says, but showing loving kindness to thousands, is that grace and mercy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Who do what? To those who love me and keep my commandments. Oh, man, Deuteronomy 5.10. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. John 14.15. If you love me, Jesus said, you will do what? Keep my commandments. It'll be seen in your deeds. So the church of Ephesus, they left their first love, and how was it displayed? They didn't do the deeds that they did before. Hmm. John 14.23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Man, I need the ever-present dwelling of the Holy Spirit in my life. More than ever. Paul's letter to Ephesus ends with this in Ephesians chapter 6. Remember, he goes through all that stuff in Ephesians. It's interesting, he ends with a call to love. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. End of letter. Fast forward some, how long could we say? 40 years? And Christ writes the Ephesians a letter. You're doing everything right, but you've left your first love. Your love has been corrupted. 
That's the last exhortation Paul gave them, and that's the one thing that they failed in. Mm. Thayer's definition, incorruption from the heart, purity, sincerity. It means we need to have a pure, sincere love. Not just lip service, amen? They had a head knowledge, but not a heart knowledge. Knowing and even believing is one thing, but God wants to, you to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every ounce of being that we are. Matthew 15, 18, it said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There are some Sunday mornings I'm busy setting up. I have a lot on my mind. Maybe uh, things didn't go right. Luckily, we don't have a sound system now. We don't need it in here. But it seemed like always a sound system would do something wrong, and we're trying to fix it. And by the time we get to worship, I'm pretty frazzled and frustrated. And we're worshiping God with my lips. But guess what? Oh, my heart is far from God. Does that ever happen to you? Oh, Lord, I love you. And I'm not even thinking about what the words say. Man, we need to be passionate for the Lord and worship with our hearts and it will come through our lips. God doesn't change. He's the same in the Old Testament as well. Isaiah 29, 13. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and they re uh, their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by what? Rote. Boy, how many times. I remember I was on campus student ministries director in Bible College at Vanguard. Got my own little office one year. Uh, and so uh, the first chapel, I would introduce the speaker and open in prayer and, and give a little encouragement. The first time I had to get up, I was so scared. Remember, I told you I can't public speak. I get scared to death. The Holy Spirit gives me the ability. But man, that first time I got up, I was so scared. I was shaking. You know, all the kids were there. You had to attend chapel. And I said, let's pray. You'll never guess what I prayed in front of all my friends in college and professors. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I could not think of anything else. That's the prayer I prayed. I was so deathly afraid. I stumbled down, shaking, sweating, and just blew it off and told people, I, that was just a joke, but I was scared to death. But I tell you what, hey, there are certain things we can memorize and pray through but God wants to have a conversation with us could you imagine if your children every time they called you just said the same thing over and over oh father uh, thank you for providing me a home and I need money in in your mom's name amen because <laughs> you know? they always appeal to mom or dad one of us is the easy one right in every family one's the hard one you're not getting a dime the other one's like how much do you need you know and they're slipping it under the table oh goodness gracious where was oh yeah man god wants sincere hearts amen that worship in spirit and in truth not just saying words that are memorized like many in catholicism do today you know, you, you have this liturgy and you, you memorize it and so many people, it's drudgery. It's just the same thing over. There's no heart. There's no passion. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, 
close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret uh, what is done in secret will reward you. Remember war room? You guys, you're putting together a war room. You have a place to go pray. Mm. And then he said this, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. When I pray the Our Father, I do Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Oh, Father God, Abba, Daddy, you're so awesome. Your name is hallowed, Jesus. It's in your name that I have strength. It's in your name. People are healed and uh, lives are changed and I glorify him. And then I go to the next line and I pray from my heart and the next line. Does that make sense? Mm. When people have a hard time praying, that's what I encourage them to do. Pray through the Our Father. Man, Our Father, our Father hallowed be thy name. Worship God for a minute. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Man, one day Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. Let thy kingdom come. Oh, it's not here yet. Let thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. What does that mean? We live in a fallen world. I believe sometimes, and I know this is crazy, but Christ wouldn't have us pray, let your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. If there are some circumstances where the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy but christ came to give us life and that more abundantly where maybe his perfect will isn't done Hmm. do you know when you sin it's not god's will for you to sin every time you sin you are out of god's will do you agree with that so when you pray let your will be done on earth even as it is heaven what you're saying is lord let me line up and stay on that narrow path let me stay on that narrow path with you So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And pray through the Lord's Prayer. I like doing that. We need to love God with our whole heart, with our whole mind. Amen? Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do you do that? With all your soul? With all your mind? And with all your strength? That's a passionate, zealous love that you have for God. I remember when I first met my wife, I couldn't stop thinking about her, couldn't stop talking about her. I couldn't, I I wanted to tell everybody about her. Man, I I found the love of my life. I know it's God's will. I was so excited and passionate. Oh man, today maybe I need to return to my first love as well. Amen? You see, not only spiritually, but relationally, we need to be passionate lovers. We need to be people that love with our heart, not just lip service. Ah, remember, repent, and return. That's the formula. Return to doing the things that you did in the beginning. Man, I want that zeal for God. I want that passion for God. Remember, let's just go through them real quick. We have nine minutes to go through this. For some, they've never truly been born again. They've come to church. They have professed Christ as Lord and Savior, but there's been no transformation. There's been no real change. They're like the Nicolaitans. Man, they believe, but they live just like they lived before. Going to the idols, worshiping the idols, doing all the weird stuff that they were doing. If that's you, Jesus is calling you home today. Just like the song we sang earlier. Perfect song choice, by the way. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, so many Christians today, they don't like the phrase born again. Have you ever heard that? In fact, I've been called, oh, you're one of those born againers. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I was lost and now I'm found. Oh, my Lord, we need that. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. I thank God for that. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Note this, we're saved by faith alone. That's clear. But that faith results in what? Good works. Oh, it comes from your heart. Fruit of self and the fruit of the Spirit. Remember this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. What's that? Any sexual expression outside of marriage. Okay, that could be pornography. That could be uh, uh, premarital sex. That could be whatever expression outside a marriage bed between a man and a woman. Now, this is important. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. They are filled with the fruit of the world. And I tell you what it brings. Anxiety, anger, worry, frustration, jealousy, selfishness, narcissism, depression, all that good fruit of the world. I told you before, but I grew up in church. I loved Jesus with all my heart. He was my best friend growing up. And I never experienced depression until I, until I went to Bible college and started experimenting in the world. I was never depressed a day in my life. I was never anxious. I never worried. I knew God had my back. He went before me. It was like I really was living with the fruit of the Spirit that came from God. But the minute I started to fall away from the Lord and I left my first love and I began to experiment with the world, here's what I found. The only time I had peace was when I was doing bad things in the world. In church, I was miserable. You know, the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, the conviction. It's like I was miserable in church. And all of a sudden, I got to a point where I was about to drop out of college. And I, I still believed in God. I, I couldn't deny that. I know God. When I was called into ministry, in the Spirit, I walked before Him. I, 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 there's no way I can deny that. I know that's more real than this. But it's like, Lord, I have to just back away from church, from ministry, I am going to live in the world, and I quoted Scripture to God to, uh, to justify it. Guess what Scripture I quoted? Remember not the sins of my youth. And I said, Lord, I have no youthful sins. I have been a perfect assemblage of God, Baptist, preaching, living for you. I, I, I haven't really sinned. You know, I stole, I literally, on the way to school one time, I'd always use my lunch money to buy candy. I know, shh. Parents, if you're watching, <laughs> and I would eat candy. It helped me get through the school. I guess I had ADHD. If I had candy, I was okay. I could sit in class. If I didn't, I'd be like drawing and, oh, just going crazy. 
but uh, I forgot to pay for it. And I remember I walked up to school and I reached in my pocket in my, at my locker and I was arranging, okay, first period, I can eat these pieces of candy, second period, these, I was arranging it, it was, you know, it's perfect. And I had my lunch money. And I'm like, oh no, I ran back to the store. I was so convicted. So I told God, hey, I have no youthful sin, so I have to go sow my wild oats so that your word is true. <laughs> so I began to experiment in the world. But I grew up very legalistic. Any of you grow up in a legalistic church? I couldn't dance, couldn't go to the movie theaters, couldn't do nothing. If, if you smelled alcohol, you were going to burn in hell. That's how bad legalism it was. Okay, so went to college, still loved God, loved God, you know, believed, but I started experimenting. And I got to the point where I was so miserable. All of that stuff of the world produced the fruit of all of this. And I became the opposite of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I remember one night, and you, many of you know the story, and I'll just make this quick. Um, I was about to move in with this girl in Newport Beach. I was witnessing on the pier. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was going to drop out of Bible college and move in with this girl. I'd, I'd you know, started dancing and all of this. And uh, all my roommates were gone. Uh, we had a condo. We all rented, you know, and... Uh, I was upstairs, had a, a balcony with a slider, and I made sure the place was locked. I don't know why. I was a little freaked out. They were gone. And, but I go to sleep, and I wake up, and the sliding glass door was open, and the wind was blowing in, and it was foggy outside. And I just thought, that is so weird. So I shut it. I locked it, get my big Bowie knife, get my shotgun, go through the whole condo. No one's there. Uh, go back to bed. Woke up again, and it was evil. Have you ever felt evil? Okay, that's what filled my room, and the door was open again. I remembered if I said something, the evil would have to flee, right? Okay, in Jesus' name, if I do. I couldn't remember even the concept of God, the name God, the name Jesus. I thought if I sing this song, they have to go. They can't stay. All I could think of was Hell's Bells, ACDC. Just, okay, all of this, I, it, all good was gone from me. Literally everything good was literally gone. I could not even think of the concept of God. And this evil said, the only way to end this is to kill yourself. I was never suicidal in my life. Take the Bowie knife, the thing told me, fill your ribs right in between, put it there and jab it in and go up. Okay, this is what the thing said to do. I'm laying there, it's like I have to do it. It was e pure evil. I remember all of a sudden Jesus came out of my mouth. I threw the knife, the evil left, and as clear as, even though it was inaudible, it was audible, this thought, it said, if you abandon me now, this is where you're going to end up. Guess what I did? I got on my knees, I wept, I repented, and I returned to my first love. Folks, the world promises you everything, and it leads to suicide. That's the ultimate goal of Satan. We need to run to the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit. Remember this in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he goes on to say, hey, such were some of you, what, all of that. Man, adulterers, homosexuals, effeminate, such were some of you, but you were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Like the song we sang this morning, 
Oh, but you were sanctified. You were set apart by God. He has a purpose for your life. He wants you to return to your first love. And you were justified just as if you never sinned by the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And we know the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, it's so good. This is what we need. Love, joy, peace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. Against such things there is no law. So remember, then we repent. And repentance is real, realizing that we've blown it. I don't think I've met too many Christians that thought they were perfect. But I remember a time in Bible college after the event I just told you about. I tried to live a sinless life. Have you ever tried to do that? Every hand should go up. Every hand should go up. We should try to live a sinless life. We will fail, no doubt. But should we not try? Remember the Laetans? They just gave up. Man, we're going to go to the idols. We're going to have sex whenever we want. We're going to get drunk. We're going to do all this stuff because, hey, we're saved by faith. But I tried to live a perfect life, and I became so judgmental and legalistic. You ever met a Christian like that? I went opposite. So I went from legalism, oppression, to complete, uh, do whatever you want. And, and I became a five-point Calvinist, by the way, when I was that part, hyper you know, it's like, hey, I, I know I'm saved, I'm elect, and I have no free will, so I'm doing this, he made me. You know, I'm getting drunk and dancing, and he's making me do it. <laughs> so that was my thing. Finally, I repented of that, and then I became a legalist, and I had to repent from that too. They're both wrong. Maybe you've fallen away, maybe you've sinned, maybe you're practicing sin. Today's a day to start fresh. And that's what he told the church of Ephesus. Remember, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. But if you do, oh, man, I'm going to give you the tree of life. You're going to be able to partake as we end uh, the letter to Ephesus. It's when we appropriate God's forgiveness and the newness of life that he wants to give us. This morning, we need that. Every day, we need that because we blow it every day. Amen? It's a new beginning. If you're a golfer, you could call it a mulligan. I love mulligans. Back when I golfed, ah, oh, that was so good. Be like, mulligan, yeah, I'm doing it again. I did that a lot. You know, a ball would go in the water. I'm not, yeah, I'm mulligan. You know, it's like God's grace. It's, it's good. Remember, repent, and return to the deeds that you did in the beginning. Man, the Lord wants a passionate people that love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. May we be that passionate, zealous people for God. Amen? Sand restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, Contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.